0: Greetings cyberspace and welcome to episode 176 of the Double Density podcast with your host Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal problems. Now, first things first, Angelo, I'm speeding through the introduction because I'm very excited about this episode. This is one that uh, we've talked about doing for a while and uh, we are not alone because we are joined by a three-peater author. Ian Rogers is here today uh, live on video because we do video now and your cat just joined us. This is cool. Uh, Get a mic on him.
1: (laughs) He... uh... He knows more about Mothman than I do.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we are here to talk about uh, uh, the 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 book Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. So basically Angela and I have done 175 episodes and this is kind of like the last big white whale of um, things that we have yet not covered that are just gigantic in the sphere of all that is spooky and weird. And Angela and I have always gone back and forth about how to cover this properly and just take an interesting kind of angle to it. And, you and the, uh, the both of us started talking uh, during your first appearance, I think, about like the Mothman prophecies and how great of a movie it was and the, mm-hmm. the book itself. And then we decided to sort of like anchor this episode based around the Mothman prophecies as a novel, as a piece of uh, of literature and sort of like want to talk about that and, and that kind of framework. So, you know, I've seen a lot of podcasts do Mothman and rarely have I seen this card in terms of like a, almost like a textual analysis of it almost. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, of course we're going to touch about the case itself, but it's more so just a freewheeling discussion about the book, um, John Keel, um, the truth versus fiction versus perceived reality kind of stuff. So there's a lot to unpack here.
2: It's it's (laughs) a podcast book (laughs) report, Brian. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, Only we have like, we're kind of using a cheat code here with an, with a, you know. A, a well-known author.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Mothman is. Uh, you're absolutely right. It is the sort of the white whale of of not just ufology, of cryptozoology, uh, parapsychology. It's why it's such a unique case is because it touches on all of these things over a <clears throat> very specific window of time, and there's also a very meta quality to it, not just because it was made into a film, but because, you know, it's almost one of these books that you are like, how do you make a film out of the Mothman prophecies? And not just because it covers this uh, uh, wide variety of supernatural phenomena, but because the, 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 the ostensible character, and I say this with air quotes, uh, John Keel, he's not just, the, not just the author, he's a character in, in, the, in the story himself. He's writing about himself. So how do you do this uh, as a book as a nonfiction book, it's almost like a like a nonfiction novel um, in a way, and then how do you adapt that into, into a film? And um, I never really saw a lot of what Keel said about the film. He was still alive when the film was made. I think he was happy with it. I think he was also aware that you just had to make this into a movie. But I, from a purely pop-cultural sense, um, as someone who just loves the sociology of UFOs as much as I'm interested in the phenomena itself, I just think like, it's just the fact that the movie was made at all and was still able to capture so much of, uh, of the phenomena of the book and the man himself, frankly... Um I just think it's a it's a huge win, and it's just something that merits a conversation on something like this, because you're right, there are a lot of podcasts out there about Mothman, but they usually talk about the book, or they talk about the town, you know, Point Pleasant today, what's it like today, and the museum and everything, and that's all great, but I think, talk about everything, and talk about <laughs> the man himself, talk about the movie, and as this whole big meta-melting pot of, of uh, pop culture and ufology, you know, so... Let's do it. Absolutely. It's
0: funny that you talked about that because that was one of the notes i made when I'd written um, things out for this episode. Is like so John Keel takes the angle of like the new American journalism that came up in the '60s, right? So Truman Capote's, you know, uh, works Norman Mailer's *Armies of the Night*, for example, where he introduces himself kind of annoyingly in like the third character a lot, yes. uh, which drove me inside when I read the book. But it's utilized through the book, and, and he uh, inserts himself in such a ways that like it's not. It's basically like a 180 from the the drier more. Uh, conventional type of like journalistic coverage and I found that really interesting and I was kind of wondering like is that a pro or a con and that's the thing that I keep going back and forth on when I was reading the book this time around.
1: Yeah well when we we talked about doing this it was like we were going to do this it was almost like our summer pandemic reading club we're all we're all going to reread Mothman you know and it's like and I hadn't read it in in probably 10 years or more. And I never read it uh, actually. Well and there you go so
0: Okay, I was about to say, but you read this for this episode.
1: I read for this episode <laughs> in July,
2: though, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to some light everything.
1: reading. <laughs> well, even for me, like I, even I finished it more than a month ago, and there was a refresher for me in some ways. There's a lot of things that I remembered, and maybe it's, you know, I don't know how much I've changed in 10 years. Uh, I've ch- certainly changed a lot uh, from the... Uh, the, uh, the teenage ufology uh, ufologist that I was um, chasing Guardian around Ottawa back in the day, where I was much more of a believer then, because now reading Mothman now, yeah, seeing John Keel as sort of the, the nonfiction character in his own book, um, I remembered him being a lot more skeptical than yeah. that he actually yeah, is in the book. Not. Like, in, in, in the book, he's not skeptical at all. He pretends to
2: be skeptical. So, so I pretends think to be that's skeptical. what you felt when you read it yeah. initially because you were more of a believer. Mm hmm. He felt more like, oh yeah, he's a skeptic, he's a total yeah. skeptic. But well,
1: and this is why this is why it's great that you read it for the first time, Angelo, because yeah. I think that you absolutely nailed it. Because I've been struggling with this. I'm thinking, oh wow, I'm giving this guy a lot more credit than he was due. Not to say there's anything wrong with the way that he wrote his book, but I really put him up on this pedestal as, oh, John Keel was this guy, and he was really skeptical. He 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 didn't you know he didn't take anyone straight face value. And I'm thinking. Wow, that is the opposite of the book that I I ever read, because he's not skeptical, he basically believes everyone, and I admire his optimism, because he's very much of a, well, she never had a reason to lie, therefore it must have been aliens, I'm thinking, what?! What? You don't even yeah. need a. You don't even need a reason to lie to lie, right? I <laughs> yeah, mean, when, it's,
0: that's just human nature.
1: When a exactly. ufologist
2: pulls that out, saying, "Well, there's no reason for them to lie. They didn't want money. Who cares? They didn't want. They're just lying to make a conversation." Sometimes.
1: Exactly. Some people just want attention. Some people don't even know that they're lying. That's that's what pathological liars are. Sometimes it's it's a compulsion. So I I was really taken aback by that, and I would also say that John Keel never met a conspiracy that he didn't like because everything from my telephone doesn't work. So I went down to the telephone room in my apartment building and the wires were all messed up. Therefore, the government is tapping my phone because what else, what other explanation could there be? And I'm thinking, I got about 50, you know, but yeah, if you yeah. want to go with the CI's tapping, like, he, that, that was a lot of his arguments were, well, there's no other explanation for this than that. And I'm thinking, uh... I beg to differ. It, my, it was my, the 60s. I, I mean, area.
2: telephone wires were a mess back then probably.
1: Exactly. Well, and he's living in New York, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, a lot of these buildings are by his own admission, like a hundred years old and, and they're using um, the old uh, electrical systems that you that you we see on a lot of Mike Holmes shows, right? Like, Oh, that's not up to code. That's not up to code. Right. <laughs> so
2: <Good> Canadian <laughs> reference right there.
1: <laughs> like, there you go. It's uh, so yeah, I mean, that was really opening for, me. I, I enjoyed the book, but my takeaway from it was, um, he wasn't the man that I really remember uh, as this, uh, as very much like a Scully. He, he was much more of a Mulder, I, I guess. Oh, right? yeah. And that, that was a bit of a shock for me because I've been again, I've been like I've I have got a character in one of my uh, my, my my series of stories, the Blacklands, which is sort of like a supernatural world. Um, and there's an organization called the Paranormal Intelligence Agency. It's it's basically what if there was a world where the supernatural exists. So instead of the CIA, you had the PIA. And you've got federal agents that investigate this stuff. So I named one of those operatives um, Keel, Agent Keel, um, in honor of him. And, I, and I, don't, I have no regrets about doing that. But I, I did that because I remembered him being a very skeptical person. So I made this a very skeptical agent in his uh, in his image. And uh, now I realize that uh, uh, the honorarium of, of having that name is still there. But the the correlation to who the man was is uh, is g- g-
0: quite the opposite. Actually, well,
2: yeah, you can just say it's opposites.
1: Exactly, exactly. Let's
2: just just stick with that. He's just right the, the bizarro version of him, almost. That's right,
1: that's right. Well, I, I
2: also remember once hearing that the characters J and K in the Men in Black movies are named that because of John Keel.
1: Oh, really? That's great. I never I heard that. that that's, that's awesome. True,
2: but I remember hearing that.
1: Well, it's very that's, convenient. That's very convenient. And as they say, if it's not true, it should be. So, and uh, in, I, in I, reading I love that. this
2: book, I, I, um, it's funny because just before I read this book... I had watched all the Men in Black movies with the kids because they wanted Mm. to watch them. And then I was telling them, this is the book that coined the the phrase Men in Black. And then I couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out where I had heard that. And it's actually on the back of the book jacket. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It literally says it there. And that's why I
1: feel like it's even the man himself, regardless of his views or his investigative methods, um, he was still there at that, what I feel like that really unusual moment in time where all this really unusual stuff was happening. And regardless of whether the fact he was like, oh, I saw a light in the sky and there's no way it could have been a plane, therefore it was aliens. I don't agree with that methodology of investigation. I don't know what a lot of people would, but something seemed to be happening there in that town at that time. Uh, whether There's
0: you know. just way too much going on. Like either like the men in black were visiting, the weird phone calls, like mm-hmm. whether or not like he was like laying it on a little bit in terms of like what they actually were versus like, right. you know, prank callers or a thing that existed for like decades Correct. and still exist, you know, and then like the actual uh, Mothman sightings. And then, um, uh, something that I feel like Keel does well in this in, terms of setting things up is he doesn't just necessarily just talk about the narrative of the Mothman incidents from November 1966 to just like mid December is when the accident was. And then like late December, like the aftermath, but he also sets things up in terms of like, okay, in October um, around the area, there was like a UFO incident, And then like, he kind of traces a whole kind of like chronology almost for the reader who may not know much. So it's really um, uh, to someone who does not know the phenomenon well, picking up this book, you actually get a pretty decent context of like why this is important.
1: Oh, definitely. And, and his history, I mean, even when he was talking about the idea of a, of a mothman creature as, as a, as a cryptid or whatever you want to call it. And he was drawing the, the, um, the historical significance back to like, like, uh, Native American Thunderbird sightings. Like, like he, he knows his history, you know, he, and he knows that uh, that was one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of, uh, of Jacques Vallée. And um, uh, his book, uh, Passport to Magonia, because it's just like, he's trying to put this current phenomenon into a historical context by saying, yeah, people are talking about alien abduction now, but it might not necessarily literally be extraterrestrial beings that are abducting you physically from your home, because 400 years ago, 500 years ago, the exact same thing was happening, only we said it was fairies abducting children, you know, or, but the same things were there, like missing time and implants and all these things. So he was really looking at it in terms of a, uh, it's almost like a martial McLuhan, holistic. you know, very, yeah, very, kind of, very holistic. Yeah. You're know, like the world village, you know, but on a parapsychological level,
0: and it was, mm-hmm. and that speaks like to me, it. that
1: speaks to the scientist in me, you
0: know. I also like the enjoy like mm-hmm. the, the, the mission of McLuhan because once we'll again, another Canadian, right. So let's just keep racking them up here. See was very much
1: like, you know, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, like you know, I'll, 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 I'll throw <laughs> out the hockey <laughs> references. That's what they want, you know, like it's got to be Canadians. You know, it's the, the craft was igloo shaped, you know, or donut yeah, our, shaped, you know, they poured maple
0: syrup type material on them. This is going to be a hard pivot towards a sports podcast. Nothing but just Canadian. Like we'll (laughs) talk about curling for a while. Absolutely. We could do it. I'm convinced we could do that. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot to sort of like um, go through in terms of the book itself. And I feel like it's structured like very competently. Um, though like you could definitely read the John Keel style of like a uh, being self indulgent a little bit and I think he's allowed to be based on the fact that like he's around all these things he's like mm-hmm. running around trying to talk to as many people as possible and something I found really interesting that I think um, is very thematic of the book is the first chapter where he sets up this idea that like it, this like otherworldly creature uh, visits this house in the middle of the night to use the phone when it turns out it's just John Keel it's just him. and, that, right. and it, it's all about perception I found those a really really interesting dynamic to sort of like pull from the idea that like the way in which we see things and the way in which we interact with the world and our worldviews are all like entirely different and entirely subjective based on who the audience is. And I found that really interesting. And like in reading that, I kind of once again, like kept going back to that in reading the book and being like, okay, well, perception, reality, like there's that weird border between the two.
1: Well, and for me going back and rereading the book, that was the one thing that I did remember after however many years it had been since I'd read it was that first chapter where He's basically describing that encounter with this person who shows up on uh, on this person's uh, this family's uh, doorstep at three in the morning, which again is a very popular scene from from the Mothman film. It's mm-hmm. it's very creepy, it's very Hitchcockian, and I was feeling that well, if it was the ultimate meta thing. And, and maybe they did try to do this, but if I was the, if I was the one directing that movie, that's where I would have wanted John Keel to make his actual cameo. You know, like <laughs> it's just like as a silhouette or however they want to do it. But I'm thinking you need to be the guy that's actually knocking on the door in a flashback or a dream sequence, whatever. How when when the guy's telling that story. Um, because it turns out this guy is uh, got like you know, blood leaking from his ear and everything, and there's a question of whether or not he hallucinated it. So in the scene, it's great because uh, uh, Richard Gere is talking to the guy's wife, and he says, uh, "Did you did you see the person at the door?" And she says, "No, but I heard the knocking you know, three days in a row. So it, it wasn't like it was all." They don't allow for the fact that it was all in this guy's head every time that they would try and shoot something down with a plausible scenario they would bring up this other element that just doesn't let it fit and i feel like that was one of the things that really honored the mothman prophecy not just the book but the actual phenomenon uh, to his credit he doesn't keel doesn't really try to answer what was going on there because again it starts with these the, with these sightings of this creature but then it goes into the like uh premonitions uh UFO sightings, poltergeist activity, it's just you you've yeah, never telepathy. seen a case telepathy, telepathy, it's just it's a, it's a bonkers case and I think that's why it still resonates after all this time because there really hasn't been anything like it that's that's really covered that it's it's like a grab, grab bag of parapsychological parapsychological phenomenon and um I still, yeah, but, I still love it. I still
0: love it. You know, it's very interesting. Like there's a lot in there. Like for example, like uh, speaking of, of, of telepathy, like the Woodrow Derringer or yeah, uh, uh, Darren Berger, sorry. It's so right. Him and his like encounters with Ingrid cold and the way that like Ingrid was like speaking to his brain. Right. I found it was like very interesting because it adds a whole other layer of like, okay, so people are physically interacting with each other. And then suddenly like someone's also like invading your thoughts and ideas and can speak to you on a whole other level. And then also like, yeah, there's like this flying thing running around uh, being a precursor to this huge, unfortunate disaster. Mm hmm.
1: Well, it was interesting because in the '60s, I mean, the the Contact D movement was really a lot bigger in the '50s. So mm-hmm. I think you could actually look at it as sort of like the uh, the, the death knell of the uh, of the uh, the Contact D movement in Indrid Cold. You know, and the fact that it was actually quite different and a little spooky. I mean, he's uh, you know, Der- was it Derringer? Is that what you said his name was? I can't remember the Contact D. Darren Berger, that's right. He was still claiming to take rides to, to, to the Ganymede galaxy. Of course, Ganymede is not a galaxy. It's a moon of Jupiter. And that, that is classic Contactee stuff. They they know the terminology of, of astronomy, but they don't actually know any of the context, right? So it's like, oh yeah, we went for a ride, and, and Venus was here. We went to the canals of Mars. It's was like, Mars doesn't have any canals, but... You know, who thought there were canals on Mars were the old, like, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the old science fiction writers. So, exactly again, yeah. you could draw these lines to it where they would sort of see it. But Indrid Cold was, uh, again, in the, in the book and in the movie, was just, it was like the dark side of Contact Ease. It was creepy, you know. It wasn't just, he was here promising peace. It was like, uh, was he?
2: <laughs> well, having never read the book, I thought there would be a lot more Mothman in it. Yeah. And there's not that much Mothman. Like you said, it's like a whole grab bag of different things that come together as as basically almost foretelling the the collapse of a bridge.
1: Well, and the funny thing about Mothman as an entity is that even from the sightings themselves, Keel doesn't really seem to put a lot of credence that it's actually like a a monster or that like a wings. That, yeah. Because, because he constantly points out that when, when the sightings are from, he's not flapping his wings. He's not, it's more like a projection, you know, like it's more like an apparition of something than an actual physical creature that escaped from some intergalactic zoo or something, or, or it's one of the aliens from, from a ship or something. He, he really does seem to think of it in the context of, no, it's, it's something that people are seeing. It's, it's, this, you know, reality affecting perception or vice versa. Um, so yeah, it, it actually is less of a cryptolo- cryptozoological um, encounter than you would see with like say a, like a lake monster, you know. I throw some Canadian content like like Ogopogo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there we, <laughs> right go. we go. West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Represent.
2: <laughs> it's um it's an owl. It's, it's always owls with Angela owls an owl, yeah,
1: I think owls, yeah i watched um I watched Project Blue Book. it was actually not a bad uh, TV show there, and that was how they debunked one of the cases was, yeah, it's just a big owl in a tree, and the branches <laughs> were at a certain way, and you know uh, it's funny because I mean the the human eye is it can do an awful lot of things, but there's also things that it can't do yeah we we can't see infrared, we can't see ultraviolet so but and yet we are we are so convinced that if i can't if i can't see it it doesn't it's not true right but the human eye actually is it's great in some ways but it's actually not that great in a lot of other ways compared to say other animals on the on the planet but that's how we convince ourselves like oh no i don't i wouldn't believe it until i see it with my own eyes and i don't know I, i that's obviously why people believe a lot of what they believe because whether they see a ufo or they see sasquatch it's always um well, you're never going to be able to convince me otherwise because I know what I saw. You know, well, that's, that's Angelo in a nutshell
0: right there. You wow. just described all of Angelo's methodology. <laughs> I work hard on it. <laughs> um, it's funny, though, because like one of the... And, and so uh, I first read the book in the early 2000s. I borrowed it from like, my local library. And I remember in particular, uh, one of the best written um, chapters or scenes in the book is the Mothman's uh, uh, chase against the Bloodmobile which written down is like really thrilling. And it actually is like one of the few moments, uh, like as even as a young adult, I was kind of like really creeped out by the idea of this actually really taking place. I felt like he did a really, he does a really good job of like dramatizing a lot of like what these people have seen. And the good news is he interviewed a lot of people multiple times in order to get their story straight from what I understand um, in the areas. So uh, he does a really good job of reconstituting a lot of these like really strange events that defy explanation because you were saying before like you know it's really interesting um sociologically or parapsychologically. psychologically sort of like look at this because it's not a fully adir it's not even a fully uh, like the town there's so much so many moving parts that for this to be like a hoax of some sort is just too far-fetched too far gone um too elaborate of of a, a like a psyop to pull off mm-hmm. absolutely
1: like for me it was like were were people lying and taking advantage of the time? Absolutely. Were people embellishing their stories? Absolutely. Because I mean, it's human beings, it's what they do. But I still feel something was going on there at that time. It was like whether or not, you know, because of the planet just, you know, reality just sort of scraped along a cheese grater for that, you know, 14, <laughs> 16 months, whatever it was. And whether or not it really did culminate in the the Silver Bridge collapse and, and there had to be a culmination. And I'm saying there I'm not saying there did, but maybe dramatically obviously it would be a very big one and it works well for the film too but it does feel like something was happening there and and the fact that it crosses this spectrum of so many um uh parapsychological events is the reason why i I, i'm more inclined to believe that something there was a tangible phenomenon there because it wasn't just ufos it wasn't just bigfoot sight or mothman sightings it it was just so unusual to the the point where it was affecting people also physiologically they like you said, like there was there was instances of telepathy. There was instances of people, um, the, these man in black sightings, or people like uh, seeing one thing and a per- another person seeing something else, even though they were standing in the same spot at the same time. It was just something that you would think would affect the human uh, the human brain. You know, because all this is like we're it's it's all it's all meat. We're we're meat bags. You know, so I mean, you you throw that under whether it's radiation or. Uh, gamma rays or whatever like whatever i just i feel like there was something was happening in that space in that time and um i'm not convinced that it was uh, necessarily uh intelligent that it was someone experimenting there because it doesn't need to be it could have just been a fluke of the environment you know that just that, that just happened in that time in that and that poor unfortunate space you know
0: it's funny that you mention that because like i don't love doing this but i was thinking like the Mothman first appeared on the 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 TNT area, right, of this abandoned munitions factory right. that gave out into the Ohio River. Like, what if it was some kind of mutation that just grew out of um, some leakage that had happened or something, right? So that it kind of kind of explains like the cryptid side of things, but doesn't explain the much larger um, human ish. Aspect, and I say human-ish, of course, because it seems like all these men in black are otherworldly. Right. They like don't know how to eat, you know, they don't know how to use utensils properly. In right. some cases, like all these like weird stories of them like being unable to like conduct normal, uh, you know, conversation without seeming that would
2: to make be, it, like, out a great of sitcom, sitcom, actually. <laughs>
1: It would be just like the cone cone, it would be like the cone heads right yeah, be like, like they're human yeah, they're but they're, they don't know our ways you right know? He, so. he showed
2: up to a bar and couldn't figure out how to, s- to order and eat the steak or something like that was, yeah he was asking uh, for food yeah yeah
1: he goes to restaurants but he never tips you know so is he rude or he just doesn't know our ways He's from you know? France
0: <laughs> he's from France right like the cone heads. Yeah. So, how did Ian like having read the book um, and reread the book? Like, how do you feel about the quality of of the actual like liter like the real like the literary merits of it?
1: Yeah, well, as you said, like the scene with the with, with the mothman producing or uh, pursuing the bloodmobile. Like, Keel's a good writer. I mean, that you, you have to give him props because I have read many books about UFOs and parapsychology, and they're mostly written by. By the investigators themselves who are if if we're lucky academics and if not they're just amateurs so the <laughs> the writing level tends to vary even the academics who might be better writers it tends to be pretty dry you know yeah and and sometimes that's fine because you're looking at it you're not looking at just to be entertained you know but again like someone like say kevin randall who, who ri- who's written a number of books on ufos but he's also a fictional writer as well too like he he's got the chops he's a great writer you know so like his roswell books are good um because he knows what he's doing. He and he knows the purpose. And it's not to say that you have to be entertaining your audience. But at the end of the day, you're trying to sell books. You're trying to you're trying to uh, not just make a buck, but you're also trying to get your information out there, your investigation out there, and the way that you do that is by making it palatable to the reader, you know, so you don't have to lie, but if you can write, and you can write well, you are way ahead of the curve, and I don't think Keel was doing that purposely, I just think, um, I think he, he was a newspaperman, I think, so, uh, I, I'm not surprised that he's a good writer, and um, he I think he would have. I don't even know if he did any fictional writing. Um, I know he wrote a number of nonfiction books, like like Mothman Prophecies. But he could have because he that that opening chapter when again you don't even know that it's him that he's actually the man in black. Brilliant! I had totally forgotten the ending of that, even though I remembered everything else because obviously the people who made the movie saw that and said, "Hey, there's our opening. There's there's the uh, there's our set piece."
0: Yeah, I do. I do feel like that that scene that sequence alone elevates the book to a level that you don't necessarily see with the cut and dry, but it also like detractors will then use that as an example of bait and switch or saying that sure. like Keel doesn't take this as seriously as he does. He inserts himself into the narrative. And then he also like has the audacity to talk about himself um, as much as he does, but right. he doesn't forcefully insert like this is his job. Like that's the, the kind of thing that like gets lost because I've, I've br- like poisoned my brain and reading a lot of reviews in the last like, uh, like day and a half less right? <laughs> where it's like this weird thing of like a lot of people kind of like a lot of people who hate the book and hate the writing, um, go after the fact that he includes himself, but it's like, it's not done in a forceful manner. Like this is an occupation that he habits. This is his realm. He has written countless like books, dozens and dozens of like magazine articles as well as a number of books. Like this isn't out of the realm of what he does and whether or not you're going to like it. Like there is a certain
2: quality to it. It felt like a diary of sorts.
1: Yeah. Well, he, and he has to insert himself. Like he's, he's not just the investigator in this, but this isn't like they, it's point pleasant West Virginia, but let's face it. It's wonderland West Virginia. Like he's going down the rabbit hole in this one. Like this is not a traditional case. You cannot write it in a traditional way. So, um, for the flaws of the book or, or the investigation itself, I never ever held that against him. Uh, I, I wish that he was a bit more skeptical and even if you're being friendly and you're, you're just hearing the stories um, that would have been fine, but he never really couched it that way. He he was pretty much adamant that he believed everyone and everything that they told him. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that was the yeah. part that I had a bit of an issue with. It wasn't just him saying, oh no, I just wanted to hear their stories and I tried to be open-minded. It's like, no, you, you definitely listened to your stories. I did not see the open mind. I did not see that aspect of it. And that's, that's, that's something that a lot of people are critical of it. When I was... Uh, Googling a few things Um, while I was reading the book. um, That was where I was like, oh, he actually isn't really that well thought of among his peers. (laughs) Again, I don't, whether or not I just wasn't aware of that at the time or um, again, when I read it, maybe uh, I wasn't Googling stuff in the early 2000s, the last time I'd read it before the film came out. But uh, I do remember when I went to go see it in the theater, I saw it in the theater and um, I saw it with uh, my girlfriend at the time and she was a reader as well. So I gave her the book. And I remember after she read it, she sort of says, yeah, so I read it. She's like, and she paused and She goes, do you believe this stuff? And I'm thinking, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> she's asking me this really lightly, but this is a test. <laughs> this is a test. So, I mean, I told her how I felt because I was I was still already pretty skeptical at that point. But um,
2: uh, she just yeah. had
1: never, never, never been involved in the phenomenon. I never knew really anything about it. So, uh but kept well, an open mind. That's the all you movies
2: kept me always thinking. When I have I have chapstick in my bedside table, and every time I pick it up, I say chapstick.
1: Oh, it's t- it's a terrifying sequence. I mean, that's such a Hitchcockian sequence, and that's actually the director is uh, Mark Pellington is doing the voice of um, I think that's his name Pellington. Uh, he uh, he he's the one doing the voice of Indrid Cold there, and it's a freaky scene, and mm-hmm. um, it's just one of these ones where uh, it, it goes into. Um, elements obviously of telepathy because he's asking why "You're reading my mind?" and he, yeah. he says, "You know, he says, I, "I have no need to," you know, which is sort of implying that they're dealing with these entities. Again, it's, it's hinted on that they're dealing with entities that exist not even outside of time, but they have a different perception of time. So they don't see things linearly the way that we are. So that's why he says, "I have no need to read your mind. I'm already aware of what you're going to say because we've already had this conversation or with the way that the these entities sort of perceive it," which I think is always really fascinating because it goes beyond extraterrestrials and aliens and what they're here for. It gets into like, I think even Keel talked about. Was, did he call them ultra terrestrials? I think he yeah. coined that <laughs> well, term. It's, it's
2: the yeah. watcher from like the what if shows on, on Disney plus.
1: Right, exactly. You know, and, and the, the one thing that the movie was really able to do is really able to, um, I don't want to say reduce the elements, but really to sort of, uh, um, focus a lot of the, the, the madness that is the book, um, and be able to simplify it in a way and saying, you know, um, these aliens or these entities might be like that window washer up there. Like there cuz he's talking to this guy in Chicago and he's looking at the skyscraper. He says, um, they may not be smarter than us, but from where they're positioned, they can see a little further down the road. You know, like if there's a car accident on the other side of the city. So, and I thought that was a great way of really describing it because it's not about them being smarter or or less smart than us it's not about them having even a motive like why would they do this it's just you have to remove all of those kinds of human questions from it which is why it's frustrating because even the richard gear character is so frustrated and he says you know like you know you know didn't you need to know the answers And, and the guy who's already been through this he's been in a mental institute the guy who basically was him before he just says plainly we're not allowed to know you know, and it's frustrating, but that's the truth. Yeah. Like we, we yeah. have, we have humans have such an ego that not only, um, would we be able to accept the answer, whatever it is, but we also have, uh, our privilege by saying that we deserve to know, you know, it's like, no, we don't. We absolutely don't. You
0: know? <laughs> to sort of, to sort of pivot on that. It's something that I was thinking about too, is that like, this is a very, um, uh, discreet, sort of series of events that culminates in something there's a there's a natural climax right so like there's a beginning and middle of an end kind of like structurally to it so it kind of like i mean like immediately following this this really sad tragedy like obviously there wasn't going to necessarily be more operations or necessarily but there's still a question of like if there was versus like now you know um uh, um it's kind of like it's very clear that like there was a crescendo that occurred and like it's very interesting to me to sort of think, like, non-logically, even there, there's a bit of, like, like, narrative logic going on. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for me, it was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it culminates in something that is very much a, uh, not just like a, again, looking at it from the film's perspective in this very meta way. It has a very Hollywood ending. It has a very much of a disaster third act set piece with the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which really did happen. But the investigation said that it was... It had very legitimate reasons. It's an old bridge. It was not meant to carry the load that it was. And that's the reason why. There was nothing supernatural or even remotely unusual about it, much less supernatural. But again, if you look in the context of these events, I don't think anyone was there thinking that Mothman
0: was up there on the girders removing the bolts, right? Well, kind of like the Twilight Zone, Right. Like the little demon on the the plane wing, yeah, the Gremlin, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. Like the Gremlin, like the Gremlin,
1: exactly. Uh, I don't know if anyone was actually expecting that, but again, if you want to look at it from the point of view of ultra terrestrials, creatures that exist outside of human perception of time, um, maybe they just knew it was going to happen. You know, it didn't need to have any sort of uh, malefic or or uh, ulterior motive of like, oh yeah, it was terrorists or it was or it, it was, was a, it was a warning gremlins. from them. It was a warning. It was a warning saying this thing was going to happen. And again, it wasn't like it was even like an intent. Like he wasn't really, they weren't even probably there trying to save any people's lives because because they couldn't. You know, it was sort of like, again, in the movie where he says, you know, you're reading my mind. He says, I have no need to. It's like why they would actually do what they're doing. Again, you're, we're trying to ascribe human motive to something that that's not human. You know, so yeah. good luck with that. You're just not yeah. going to be able to. I love discussing it, but there's not going to be any answers, but I love discussing it. It's like, it's like for me, I don't, I still find it satisfying the same way that the mystery is always more satisfying than the solution, whether it's an Agatha Christie or, uh, or, a Stephen King, uh, adaptation, you know, like I love all these things. I love, I love real mysteries, whether it's Loch Ness or Bigfoot. Um, then, not even as a believer or non-believer, but the mystery is what compels us. The mystery is what's cool because, and I know why, it's it's because life is just so mundane so much of the time. It's just that like we, we get up in the morning, we go to work, we come home, we have dinner, we, we zone out in front of the TV, we go to bed and repeat, for the most part. And I like my life. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but... If you can throw a monkey wrench into reality and say, hey, you know, like I was in the woods and I've been camping for 30 years and I've got no reason, you had no reason to believe me. But the one time I was out there and I saw something and I've seen bear, I've seen these things. And this was like a man and it was, it was a man covered in fur. And I'm not saying that it was Bigfoot, but this is what I saw and I can't explain it. Right. And I, I love stories like that. Like, where, especially when they're not trying to explain anything, they're not trying to sell you anything because... I just think that's why we like mysteries. Not because we necessarily want the answers, but because it just it throws that monkey wrench into reality and says, no, we don't know anything. Yeah, yeah we, we make all these technological advances. We've made these sociological advances. But at the end of the day, we're still like the, the cave people, you know, You know, you know, coming out of uh, you know coming out of the cave and throwing rocks at the moon. You know, it's just like we still don't even understand some of these things. And I I love that. I love that about people.
0: Angela and I have talked about this, and I think maybe I've even mentioned with you, but uh, we treat I treat personally like ufology as like a really elaborate like campfire story. Like there's a lot of lore. There's also some evidence, but like ultimately, like once again, I think you hit the nail on the head. The mystery is the driving force behind this, right? Because we as humans feel compelled to attach emotion, to attach meaning, to attach. Uh, you know uh, some kind of semblance of ourselves onto something larger and it's not always the case and to some people that's fine but to others they're driven by the answer and i think mm-hmm. that like unfortunately in some things like this you'll never find um a, a total amount of closure because uh closure would denote the fact that like you would need um
2: both sides to sort of come to to an agreement of sorts Do do you feel well, that's why john keel inserted himself into the story basically
1: well, I was just I was just about to say, I think maybe the reason why Keel, in terms of the story and the reason why a lot of people attach themselves to sometimes really uh, extreme uh, solutions, whether it's yeah terrestrials, or 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 they're the actual creatures, or, yeah, it's a dinosaur that lives in this lake and it was it somehow survived millions of years, is because they they have to have something. And even if it's ridiculous, it's still an answer because to for some people to not have an answer, is to is to court madness it's like no no i need i need it i need a tether you know it's sort of like um it's like on the tv show lost they uh, they've got a time travel component but again they, they deal with a lot of the physical and, and mental um repercussions from that and if you if you experience this you need to basically have a tether in time because if you don't you go mad and they call mm-hmm. it a constant on the tv show but it's a it's if you don't have this, your brain sort of goes untethered through time. You'll just, you basically go mad until your brain just cooks itself. So I feel like maybe some people, they just, they can't handle the possibility that no answer will ever exist. So they'll, they they will latch on to something, um, just to have some, some semblance of closure, even if it's ridiculous, even if it's totally bonkers, even if there's nothing even really to back it up. It's, it's sort of like a, uh, um, a safety, a safety valve, you know, it's a cushion that they, they use to sort of preserve their sanity, you know.
0: That's why, like, everyone should jump on board with my idea, which is I, uh, I'm i very postmodernist in that, like, meaning is created with the, the reader or the, like, the end user, right? So whatever you intend for me to take out of it, I will discard and make up my own meaning or just synthesize uh, either or.
1: John Keel would totally get behind that if he was <laughs> here with us today. I think he would love that. But, you know, again, it's just one of these things where in... I would say in my old age. I'm turning 45 in a couple of weeks, but uh, that's—it's it's
0: the
2: sound of your bones creaking. That's the what the sound of hearing. my bones okay. creaking. Okay. That's, that's okay. We're a year apart. I'm turning 44 in a few weeks.
1: Oh, really? What's your birthday? October 26th. 26th? I'm 17th. So you know, I'll, I'll get there first. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know how it is. Right. You know, but uh, <laughs> well, you're yeah, already there. Uh, right? I, I, we're well, a year no, apart, I was right? going to say you're—you're so, you're a year apart. That's right.
2: Does, your, does but, my back get any better? No. No. No.
1: Sorry, Angela. It's Bad all nights. downhill. It's all <laughs> downhill.
0: <laughs> it, it sort of like relates to what we're talking about, Ian, though. Like, um uh, it took John Keel eight years, right? From the point in which the the unfortunate bridge class happened to the time mm-hmm. he puts this book out, right? So he's had eight years to sort of like marinate and stew and sort of like think up um, how to properly present this. obviously outside of all of his work, either you know investigating or presenting or writing. Mm-hmm. And so I find it really interesting that there's like this this kind of like hindsight he has to um, uh, the events presented because I don't know what the book would have looked like had it been come out in like in like 68, let's say, like he spent a year writing, editing, getting it done. I wonder what that book would have looked like versus with the hindsight of time and and sort of like the ability for this narrative and all these like fantastical stories to like m- sort of marinate together.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the interview that I would like to see, because you're right, there was a number of years that had passed, and maybe it was just sort of like, he had all these case notes, and this is is even before computers, right? (laughs) So, I mean, this is a long time before computers, so it might have just been like, yeah, I know there's a book in there, but I don't even know what it looks like, much less what it's called. I'll get to that tomorrow. And then you see the uh, on screen eight years later, right? It was just like, you know, because yeah, he wrote other stuff too. He he was still investigating uh, other cases after Mothman. I mean, he was investigating other cases while Mothman was going on because Mothman wasn't just every day, you know, wasn't 24 seven. It was events that were going on over the course of that, that period of time. But yeah, I, I like to think that he had finally just reached a point where he sort of had to dive in, um, Because, again, as as Angelo pointed out, the the titular Mothman, it actually does not appear very much in it. And a lot of people weren't even really making the connection between one thing and another while it was all happening, right? It wasn't like, hey, I got that weird phone call, or I had this visit from that man in black. It's got to be connected to that Mothman that those kids saw at the TNT area the other time. So it wasn't really until, I think, he was able to coalesce all those ideas into the book that even he himself, much less other people... um, in the area would have been able to say hey maybe all these things were connected you know mm-hmm. i just cuz cuz why would you why would you there was no precedent for it and you can't look to another case and say oh yeah we had mothman and we had telepathy and man in black this had never happened before and I, as i'm aware of it's never really happened since
0: no um, a confluence of you know. such diverse kind of like weird things mm-hmm. like just
2: all in in the same geographical well, area at the same time it could be that there was no john keel to make the connections
1: that well, too. that's too. And I think that's that it's point. one of these things where it's like it's like mm-hmm. an eclipse, right? It's like it's like it's a moment in time, like planets aligned and these things happened. And yeah, we've had UFO cases since then. We've had cryptid sightings and and other things, you know, men in black. But yeah, having them all in this sort of one concentrated area, it was just like yeah, it was like one of these things when you see on the news like oh like these planets will be aligned for this time today and it's not going to happen again for another 700 years and you know in this sort of the fast-paced news cycle we live in it's like hey that's kind of cool we don't really think about it but back then that was news you know like something Mm -hmm. like that would have been a big deal you would have had people out looking at this kind of stuff um and i feel like maybe that's what it was on a uh on a supernatural level maybe if uh since I do believe that, that, that something did seem to be happening there. But again, it's so hard to say, right? I mean, these are, these are not phenomena that, are, that you can really catalog. It, it really is, you know, in terms of the evidence, like, it's, you're recording observations. There's not a lot of stuff that you can really uh, collect, you know? Like, you look at even a phenomenon, like they say, like, like angel hair. These, these are with this, this weird physical stuff that falls out of the sky, like forty in phenomena, these strange rainfalls of stuff. But angel hair, by its very definition, is like, oh, it never lasts. You know, even you can capture it. It sort of dissolves or disappears in a couple of days. So this is something that that people still think of as this tangible phenomenon of something that that does occur, these strange rainfalls of, of matter. But even the people who study it say, oh, yeah, but you'll never be able to get anything off it because it always disappears in a few days. It's sort of yeah. just ta- given as, yeah. a, as, a, as, a, as a, it's taken as a given, you know yeah in in the uh, in the field it's you could say that about everything it's you either accept that you're not going to get the answers that you have to be propelled by the mystery or you get angry <laughs> which is you, you get bitter or you get crazy. I think yeah. that you just, you go down one of those roads and I didn't want to be any of those things because I'm not an angry person and I don't want to, I don't want to become crazy. I think it's it's not something that is hereditary or is some people are more predisposed to it others, obviously, but I think anyone could go down that road and um, it just wasn't satisfying for me. Uh, that was part of the reason why I sort of got out of it as an investigator was because I was more interested in the mystery and it's, I mean, you don't need to take a, you don't need a psychiatrist to sort of see why I also got into writing fiction. You know, it's sort of like, I still write mysteries, but my mysteries need to have third acts because you can only, you can only write so much ambiguous horror and people are like, after a while, and I, I know I've got friends who write a lot of ambiguous horror and I love it, but if you write so much of it and if that's all you do, you, you will reach a point when someone will says, your readers will say, or the reviewers will say, you just don't know how to end these, you know, like there's, there's an <laughs> element of, yeah, the mystery is cool. And then there's this, you yeah. just don't know how to end these. You just, yeah. you just decided to stop right there. You
2: know? and, and you're bringing up a good point because a lot of times ufologists these days, or a lot of paranormal investigators. The solution does come up. It's explained, but they don't like the explanation. So they keep going with the mystery.
1: Well, absolutely. Especially in this day and age, right? Where everything is a conspiracy, it's, um it's It's a little spooky, too. That was another reason why I got out of it after uh, especially after nine eleven when there was a very large proponent of right wing conspiracy buff that got into UFOs. So suddenly it went from right. it was like, I was saying this to someone else uh, a few months ago, but how you go you go back and you watch The X-Files now, and their conspiracies are almost a quaint. They're almost yeah. adorable yeah. compared uh, yeah. to the stuff. Like, you couldn't do The X-Files today. They, they they brought it back a little bit, but you couldn't do that show in its original form today because it's too dark. No one wants to watch that show. It, it's one thing to say, oh, the government was involved in JFK. The government was involved in this. But when you start saying, oh, the government was involved in Sandy Hook, the government yeah. was involved, and they said, "Like yeah. that's not that's not entertainment. I don't want to watch that. You know, like I don't like I don't even want to watch the documentaries. Made. That that's 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 crazy talk for some people. Like oh, these these parents aren't parents. they're we have a term for it now. We call them crisis actors, which is one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard of. Right? For sure. It's just it's just it is vile to me. It's not entertainment. So I think when you saw that sort of um, sea change away towards." Um, uh, conspiracies and, and sort of related phenomenon now when you see UFO cases and then you bring in the government what well, like it's like the uh, the recent um, uh, the US Navy report it, it, it's just it just comes a little too close to that that right-wing element and then you you just you're you're a hop skipping away from white supremacists uh um, you know, um, what do they call them, like... Uh, well,
0: cultists, like cu- QAnon Q- cultists, you Q- know? QAnon like-
1: cultists, exactly, like a homegrown terrorists. It's just like, you just, y- you will be there investigating UFOs, like say in the States, you can be there investigating, and then suddenly you're going to get a visit from the FBI, because like, oh, we noticed that one of your associates is this person. And because they just, there's no lines anymore with that stuff. It was just, yeah. it's just, it's just a spooky time. I don't, and that's another reason why I just don't want to be I don't want to be involved in that. You'll you'll end up on
2: the radio pushing your own pills of uh, (laughs) hair growth and things like that. (laughs) Exactly. sure yeah. yeah, yeah, That's Shirtless. right. Well, like Alex it's Jones,
1: crazy. like this stuff was not around in the nineties, you know, like it just, it didn't exist like info wars and QAnon. And yeah, it was
0: well, it's just, funny because you know. a couple of months ago I watched like a post nine 11 documentary from Alex Jones from like 2006 or 2007. And like, and I made the exact same point where I was like post nine 11, there's like this weird break in terms of like conspiracy thinking in terms of like bringing it down to a level that was like very street mm-hmm. versus like, um, there's almost like a quaintness to it leading up like in, in the, up until like the late nineties, early two no, thousands, like, and like, burn
2: stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, but yeah, yeah. that was kind, of a, that was kind
0: of a minority, right? Because he, like, there's the whole militia movement too in the 90s, which kind of tainted things. But, like, by and large, like, there was a sort of like um, a buffer between. That thinking and actual um, uh, unfortunate incidents and now it's kind of like all become one. Yeah, like you're saying like Sandy Hook the idea of like Alex Jones, uh, thankfully uh, continually losing lawsuits and that means he'll owe a shitload of money Mm -hmm. um, to to these grieving parents, which is great, but it's it's drawing a a line between things that like are intangible versus like concrete incidents that have happened that have impacted Mm -hmm. dozens if not hundreds of lives.
1: Well, that's the, that's the unfortunate part. Like, you, you nailed it on the head. These people, it's like what you said, Angela, like, like Bill Cooper. They used to be fringe. You're right. Yeah. Oh, that's just the black one. No one listens to that guy, right? Like, especially Bill Cooper. Bill Cooper went down and, and like, he was a cowboy. He went down yep. the way he wanted oh, yeah. to go down he, yep. in a blaze of fire. Like, and. Um,
2: but now they get that sweet Spotify money.
1: Well, <laughs> and they had the Spotify money and then Bill Cooper they got a martyr, right? I mean, it's just yeah. like it's it's just it's spooky in the sense where yeah, you're right. It's it used to be the fringe. It used to be oh, those are just the wacky people we don't really listen to them. And now it's like when you see like the popularity of of what
2: Well, know, Joe Rogan, right? And he's yeah, friends QAnon with he's friends course. with uh, with Alex with Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah, like yeah, they're friends they're and he's when I used to back in the day when I would actually listen to Rogan before he before he really went off the deep end. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take it anymore. Like, And this is five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. He would talk about how his friend Alex Jones is just misunderstood and he's not really that crazy. And he's right a lot of, about a lot of stuff. And at, at that mm-hmm. point, I started thinking, oh, Joe Rogan's not uh, the type of person I really should be listening to.
1: Well, it's a real like again. It's a hot. It's a hop, skip, and a jump, and away from just. And I don't know how much. I mean, no one really knows how much Alex Jones really believes in this stuff personally. But it's sort of it's it's incidental. He, the fact is that he peddles this stuff. He has his platform. That's the problem. And he's and he's selling it in a way where it starts with oh yeah, chemtrails. Oh yeah, inside job, and then it's, suddenly it's like oh well, there's the immigrant problem. It's like dude, you're about two steps away from saying that Jewish people control the world, <laughs> conspiracy that have been going around for a long time. Like again, it's it's designed to foment hatred and prejudice mm. and alienate you know the the other right i mean and, and it's a yeah. it's a tale as old as time but they've monetized it you know yeah. because you got the you got the internet you've got i don't like to say technology is the beast because it's not it's a tool it's that's how you use it but the way that they are able to reach these people um it's no longer a fringe movement and the yeah. part that's the part that makes me sad is because i it may, oh, it always makes you really question how many of these people are really out there who really Hate people because of their skin color or their religion. It's just—it seems like the stupidest thing to hate people for. Like, maybe that sounds really naive to me, but it's just like I just—I I have no problem with anybody. I just—I never really understood how you could just arbitrarily hate someone based on the color of their skin or what church they went to. It just—it just boggles my mind on that level of infantile hatred. Yeah, just, I just don't get it. I just and then on top
2: it. of that, these people have these platforms that, prom- and the promoting them inadvertently through algorithms, right? Like you, if you're on YouTube, let's say, and you're a flat earth person, well, as soon as somebody starts watching flat earth videos, they're going to keep getting them popping up. And that's how, Mm -hmm. like we've looked into this, Brian and I, and because I always wondered like who actually believes in flat earth, but because of YouTube and the Mm -hmm. algorithm there, a lot of people have latched onto this because they just see only those videos. Mm -hmm. They're a small percentage, but that's all they see on YouTube. So it must be real.
1: Well, and that's why you can look at the the return of the flat Earth movement, and then you, you, it's not like you got to draw a really complicated line to the current anti-vaxxer thing. And it's just like I know of anti-vaxxers; I've got a couple of my family. And you cannot speak to them logically because they're not coming from a place of logic. Their, qu- their 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 little screeds never start with the sentence. Well, I was spoke to my family doctor, and it's <laughs> yeah. never that. It's always yeah. I saw a video on YouTube, or they talk a lot about big pharma. Like they've got their catchphrases. They've got their things that they're that they're always spewing. But it's never based on uh, on having spoken to a medical professional. And again, I just refuse to speak to them because again, you can't speak to someone who's not being logical. There's no point, and it's just going to. Make me angry, and I don't really need any more anger in my but life. You're the so one who's not being logical, short. right? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just like, but you you can't you can't speak to someone like that. It's just there there is literally no point in that argument because it's like the flat Earth. It's just like, really, we we are now going backwards. the The ultra terrestrials from Mothman are up there shaking their fists going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> "Like you got another one coming." Well, you know,
0: Rubella. Rubella's going
1: to
2: come <laughs> back next. You know, <laughs> it's because. Like something like the anti-vaxxers, whatever, you can have some logical arguments in there for mm-hmm. certain things. For example, like the vaccine passport, I can see some people thinking that's frustrating, whatever. Uh, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I have my own point of view where I think it's totally fine, but I'm double vaccinated, mm-hmm. so doesn't, like it doesn't affect me, you, right? But you've so, also recently taken ivermectin too, right? Uh, yes, I'm yes. all for, fully dewormed. Uh, that's right. You know
1: and, we got the Kentucky Derby next week. And, and that's, yeah, exactly. that's another thing, right?
2: That's, that's a valid medication for many things. It's just yes. what happened is that in certain countries, it is being used to treat COVID. But what happened mm. in the U.S. There's a human form of it and an yes, animal form of that's it. that's the problem. What happened in the U.S. is that there was a run on this, the human form, and then people just like, well, I'm just going to use the one for horses. And that's what all became a joke there. So mm. it, there's so many points of argument there. The thing with flat earthers, though, is they, to make their case, they really, really, really have to leap through all sorts of hoops because we have mm-hmm. literal footage of our actual round earth. Mm-hmm. And the, all that has to be faked at that point, right? But
0: beyond that fact, is like some of these people, and we've talked about this too, is like they believe there's an ice wall. That's yes, it's, gu- it's like bonkers. guarded by the FBI
1: like Game like, of Thrones ice wall? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, or literally targeted? yes.
0: That's that that is the belief that some Flat Earthers have is that the the world is flat and surrounded by a gigantic ice wall that is guarded by the FBI. Uh. And that is that is a valid way of thinking to them.
1: So the FBI's only been around since 1947. I wonder who was guarding the Earth Wall before then. So the black you know, uh,
0: surprise. Right, that's right, um, black watch.
1: Thank you. I just <laughs> had
0: a very horrifying thought. Imagine if the Mothman incidents and the bridge had happened in modern times. Just think about that for a second. How scary that would be to those who and Angela have talked about this. Most of the people who have become figureheads in ufology are grifters plain and simple let's be honest they're in there's a a capitalist need to make money off of those who wants to believe book deal incoming
1: yeah yeah well look at the uh the, the roswell slides the so-called roswell slides <laughs> what a what a joke it was like it was like I was like well i don't want to reserve judgment here it's like you know what I, I i talked to one of those uh, mothman ultra terrestrial entities so they don't they don't see time in our way hoax <laughs> you already yeah. told me it's a hoax you know <laughs> so, uh, but again they were selling tickets to this thing they the guy made a lot of money like the grifters do then he packed up his little suitcase and skedaddled you know and again it's just it's it's sort of like uh Bob Dylan, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It just like it's like really the year twenty twenty one.
2: People are still making money off of the Roswell incident. It's just like there's, like there's there's no evidence. There's never been a shred. You know, you look into these things at the top of all these conspiracies, all these things. There are grifters making money. Like even something Mm -hmm. uh, like we were, you know, we were talking about vaccines before and talking about health. The -hmm. people that you know that these natural news websites and stuff that. When I was on Facebook years ago, I would I would see people post, look at this, from Natural News. And then if you look into Natural News, they're selling their own supplements. Of course they don't want you to buy Tylenol and stuff. They sure. want you to buy their own supplements because that's how they make money. So, you know, big pharma, this and that, it's like it's big natural uh, health mm-hmm. supplements also, right? And they're all owned <laughs> oh, by yeah, the same uh, conglomerates at the end of the day. And then they get tested and it's not even the the... the
0: uh, matters or particulars that are like supposed to be what they're in these pills too at the same time. Right? Yeah. So right. it's just like,
2: yeah, like our, our, we had a guest on a few weeks ago, uh, Richard Reddy, and he talked about how he was in the Merseyside skeptics when they all overdosed on arsenic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like homeopathic arsenic. Right. So they just drank water basically.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll just clear that right up. It's, yeah. uh, it's always funny with, uh, <clears throat> yeah, sort of the, uh, the anti-Big Pharma. And like I said, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like Big Pharma doesn't have their own. There are no angels. There are no angels. There are no angels. But at the end of the day, it's like, am I going to listen to my relative who has no medical background whatsoever and doesn't work in the medical field, or am I going to listen to my family doctor who yeah. says get the jab? You know, and so it's just like you would you would go to your doctor if you broke your leg or if you needed your appendix out. So it's really weird how this has become a hot button issue. Like vaccines have never existed before. It was like it's like you got inoculated like the rest of us against you know like measles, rubella, polio, diphtheria, tetanus. You know, I got my last booster. What well, you get like every ten or fifteen years for that one. Yeah. And again, no one questions those ones. Right. And again, and the same people, if they still, even if they got sick, even if they got COVID, they're still going to the hospital. Right. So again, this, this, this distrust of big pharma is such garbage.
2: Yeah. And they're not, they're not doing themselves any favors recently with like uh, Moderna, like starting to recommend boosters and the government's like, well, no, like we don't need boosters for everybody right now. We just Mm -hmm. need them for the, the people that need them that are immunocompromised and stuff. So it, it, exactly. And, again i'm 100% for vaccines and stuff but sometimes i kind of see the point of view of the people who are somewhat against it in terms of like the way they look at the government but the problem right. is is they don't end up looking at everything the kind of zero in on the negative things and the politicization yeah. of it is it's, it's
1: politicized. like it's not it's things that shouldn't be politicized so if you don't trust the government that's fine if you don't trust big pharma that's fine but the fact is is that at some point in your life whether you broke an arm or your kid had whooping cough you took you you yourself or you took someone somewhere whether it's your yes. family doctor or the er there was a medical professional that you probably trusted go to that person and ask them what they would say to do that's, sure. that's all, that's, not, all ask, that's
0: all ask i'm saying
2: that's
1: Exactly, In, exactly. You know. Yeah, that's all I'm
2: saying. See what Joe Rogan says. See what uh, Alex
0: Jones says. Their yeah, part. exactly. F- F- go ahead and visit yeah. his uh, informer's website because he's banned on all social platforms.
2: Yeah, the, the problem is a lot of the the other information out there, unfortunately, that seems scientific and legitimate is coming from discredited sources. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: look at the, uh, the even the one about that that uh, connects vaccines to autism that guy was, oh, that was like 20, twenty years ago yeah, and they, people are still people still bring that guy out like he's he lost his medical license when that happened but people still talk to him yeah. like, again, people believe what they want to believe and and they love to name? believe if it's stuff that basically uh, reinforces their pre-existing biases and prejudices that's what they believe right? and he so did again, that like study
2: because he wanted to push his own vaccine that he was developing
1: exactly exactly and again people don't people seem to forget that because again people believe what they want to believe and if it's something that's kind of fringy they they got their blinders on right so it's like well what about this what about that you know and it's just again like you said if you don't believe that doctor then go talk to 50 doctors, you know, like, but don't just listen to the one that's just telling you what you want to hear. Cause that's usually, that's, that's what an anti-vaxxer or a flat earther, it's like, don't listen to that one astronomer who's saying, yeah, ice wall, you know, guarded by the FBI. It's like, if you can find me 50 astronomers who say that, we'll have a conversation, but I'm doubting you'll, you'll do that, you know? Yeah.
0: Or an FBI agent who is in charge of the ice wall guarding.
2: Like, I would love to speak to that. Exactly, it's just like it's like the climate change thing, right? People will trot Mm -hmm. out the one climate scientist who thinks there's no climate change, right? But he's been discredited so many times, and he's not a climate scientist anymore, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's always these things that happen, and um, we've talked about it many times on this show. Fair and balanced is a dumb thing to do because Mm -hmm. giving everyone a platform means you're giving everyone a platform. Yeah, and there's certain topics that there's no balance in it. Like you can't have equal time to somebody who's saying the climate is not changing versus somebody who's saying it is Mm -hmm. because let's
1: circle, circle back on that and imagine if Mothman had happened in West Virginia today, you know, because let's
2: face it, like there is also a lot of,
1: um, I don't want to. I don't want to water it down, but I would say uh, at least, in, and maybe not overtly, but at least in terms of the descriptions, um, some passive racism in that book. Oh, because yeah, the, totally. The,
0: the you're the talking about Oriental eyes, for example. Oriental
1: like, eyes. Well, all the descriptions, of the, of the or or they were scared of some of them that because they had quote unquote like negroid features. Yes. Yeah. And again, like that's the way a lot of people wrote in that time. So it's not that fact that Keel's descriptions are, are racist. And I'm not saying I'm not I'm absolving the fact that just because everyone wrote that way at that time makes it right. But I'm actually looking at the incidents themselves. People in West Virginia, largely white, largely rural, but who, who are they afraid of? Yeah. Largely uneducated. Who are they afraid of? The other. Asians yep. and black people. They're going to take know? their like it's, jobs it's, and
2: things like that. Of course, that yeah, was a sentiment back yeah, then. It big still time, is, unfortunately.
1: Time. It still is. Yeah. So it's, I'm not surprised that the, that the people that they are afraid of that are coming to their houses, uh, allegedly out of UFOs or destroying their bridges, you know, and killing people, um, are people of other ethnicities. Ethnic-
2: and now we get to the real reason we brought you here, and that's to talk about systemic racism in West Virginia
1: <laughs> in the 1960s. <laughs> well, you, say, you saved the light subject for yeah. the yeah. end.
0: Well, eh? I, I know, Ian, you have dozens and dozens of charts behind you that you're just dying to reveal to us. So but finally, just one quick last point about this, and then I think we'll we'll wrap things up. But it's it's funny because in looking at the way that John Keel um, took that eight years to sort of like write this, he also treated the victims of of this unfortunate incident with like a lot of respect, which I feel like wouldn't happen if this book was like rushed to market in these times mm-hmm. and you know, all these people chasing clout like um, uh, the the Gabby Petito incident, right? Like a right. ton of people on social media are now just like armchair speculating about this unfortunate, you know, uh, uh, murder that has occurred and have once again, no evidence at all and they're just wizarding right. up facts. And so I just, every time I, I try to think of, like, what if this had happened today? I, inevitably, I get really, really angry with people.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, and it's, there's, there's a certain bitterness and it's not unearned, but they're, and, and to to the Tia's family's credit, they are saying that, you know, they wish that other people's, especially other ethnicities uh, of missing people would get as much co- credit or coverage as their daughter's case is, because it's yeah. true. And there was a tweet that was, um, yeah, when when a white girl goes missing, everyone in America puts on a Sherlock Holmes costume. <laughs> and it was like they're not wrong. It's nope. it's bitter, but they're not wrong, you know. So it's uh it is unfortunate because yeah, it's it's like it's the top thing on the news cycle right now, right? It's just yeah. for like the last 2 weeks, you know. And, and 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 there hasn't even been any news for the past week because they haven't found this this kid. The uh the alleged uh you know the suspect, uh, her her boyfriend,
0: whatever. Well, I don't so, know if yeah. you know about this, but uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter is on the case. I
1: did see it, so, so you know. That to
0: uh, me, it's just like we live in Mad Libs times here. We 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 have
1: achieved you know uh, maximum internet now, where if they did, it's just like you know <laughs> what it, they don't even need to find them. There's still going to be a two hour Dog the Bounty Hunter special. You know? it's, like, uh, yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> I saw a tweet by, I can't remember her name, but who's the, the dummy that that's in the Congress in the United States? The There's a lot of the, those. Uh, the want, Laundry Taylor the, Green. The, yes. Uh, is uh, it Tyler her? Green? Yeah, yeah. Or, or the other, or Lord Borbert Lord, or whatever Bobert? her name is?
1: Yeah. The one with all the guns in her background yes. whenever she's doing
2: I, a I Skype. I think yeah. she tweeted about how when she takes Tylenol, not everybody has to take a Tylenol for it to work, like referring to the vaccine. That checks out. That checks out, because I take Tylenol for all of my infections. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's in the Art of War. I'm sure that's where <laughs> she got that from. You know, she's a real, real, real deep thinker. That one, you know. You know, but
2: <laughs> the, like talking about how things were and how things are today, these type of people would not have been in Congress.
1: No. no, it's, no. it's it's uh, like I said, America, and I love America, but, and I'm not insulting the country. But the fact is that all my friends I mean, we have our totally own problems with here, me. right? It's, the country is like a reality TV show. It's just like anything that you would think is. Uh, we 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 share the border with them. We have this because we share so much with them. In addition to the border, I've always said that we're kind of like the Ned Flanders to their Homer Simpson. You know, <laughs> Like we're, we're 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 sort of we're locked in. Um, there's a lot to like about that country, and there's a lot that's really kind of bonkers. Like they their even like their 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 views on guns is unparalleled on the planet. There's not really another country that has the relationship with firearms that the way Americans do, and that's an argument you're just never going to win with them. Even the ones who who aren't hardcore gun people, it's just not something that you just don't get into w- with them. It's it's so we- weaved into the into the fabric of their society. But you know, I've got a lot of friends who are Americans, and I worry about them because the country is just it's a powder keg. And maybe it's always been that way, but it just seems like it's it's getting scarier and scarier for them because yeah, you'll have you look at any of their news cycles, and it's the stuff that they're promoting. And it was just like, oh, this panda, you know, was born and its fur has a smiley face on the back. And today, you know, it's just like there was a terrorist attack that killed fifty people, and like, and those are the two headlines. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking, wow, yeah. like that country just the, you know, the polarization know to do. there is
2: <laughs> is insane, right? If you I've they've been showing these charts and maps of covid cases versus like which district intention. yeah and right. it's 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 very clear how like the virus is hitting people along party lines because of their beliefs in vaccinations and in terms of any other covid interventions right wearing masks distancing right. and stuff like that you see it in those numbers and i mean it's hard to make that up
1: mhm it's i think Maybe, I know, I'm not saying I've got the solution, but I, in terms of looking at it from the outside and, and someone who, who who checks you know the news uh, that's going on in the States a lot more than they probably check the news in Canada. Um,
2: Our news is boring, well, both, I know, That's
1: not and, true. Uh, that's but you know what? True. But I like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I will take boring any day of the week. Angela's that all just stuff mad we haven't talked about out the
0: People's Party in Canada semen retention guy yet. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, really?
2: I don't yeah, know. The biggest, biggest news was. I got from the whole... Actual election was finding out that Aaron O'Toole was younger than Justin Trudeau.
1: Really? Yeah. Look I at don't them think and, I knew and that. And they don't
2: look. Well, <laughs> no. I, I honestly thought he was a good f- like five to 10 years older than Trudeau. But hey. Oh, absolutely. oh good thing you finished that
0: sentence because you said, I think he's good. And I was worried where this was going. No. Well, you
1: know, it's the miracle of editing, though. You know? Yeah. Great. Right? You, can, you can have him can say whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What I was going to say there is I just think that Americans have a tendency to sort of politicize anything or everything, whether it's, you know, chicken sandwiches at Chick-fil-A or, you know, or actual politics. They just, again, it's kind of ironic for a country that has united in their name that they just, they're so us versus them, you know, it's just, it's... uh it makes me feel bad because again, because there's a lot to really like about that country. And and I've got a lot of friends that are down there and I just, it's, I worry more about them than I worry about people in my immediate circle, just because Mm. if you're just looking on the news, um, it's like with all the gun violence and all this stuff. But then I'll hear from other friends of mine, oh, it's actually not that bad. That's just the media. But it was someone was even telling me about why we don't see, like whenever I'm watching an American channel, and you guys probably see this too, all of the advertisements for pharmaceuticals. And I was like, well, yeah, why do they have so many drug ads down there, but they don't have them in Canada? In Canada, I just learned this this week, it's against the law yeah. for them to download those costs. To, so that's why there's no advertising. There's no money in it for them. But again, in the States where everything is monetized like that, and especially their medical industry is just, the only people they benefit are the insurance companies and yeah. the drug companies. Those are the people who benefit from the, from the American medical industry. But again, that's why you see all these ads. That's why they're marketing it the same way they market their chicken sandwiches in the latest Marvel movie. You know, <laughs> it's it's madness. It's mad. I feel bad. I feel bad for them because I don't know how to help them. And I want to yeah. help them.
0: Well, I mean, there's certain parts of Canada that definitely swing more American-esque, right? Like we have a whole sure. province out west uh, that starts with an A and I don't want to anger any of our listeners from out there because I'm <laughs> sure that they want to get into it. But you know, there are trends in which like unfortunately, like there's a whole spectrum and um, um, fortunately, rationally, more of Canada falls into that part sure um, than not at this point. And I say at this point at this juncture because like who knows? who knows? who knows you know unfortunately that's
1: why I try to keep the positive attitude, you know, like again, I just I treat people the way that I want to be treated. And especially online, where it's just... The last thing I want to do is get into arguments with with strangers for no reason. I just... Well, I think the
0: first time you were on, you were talking about uh, uh, you uh, getting into, like, flame wars and, like, uh, message board arguments back in the day, right? And how you had to be talked out of that. And, like, you've realized it's all that time. Right, yeah.
2: So, apparently, there's a female ghost in this apartment building who thinks I'm attractive...
0: Double density. speaking of positive things ian uh it is october yes uh before we start our episode we talked about like fun halloween stuff so i'm just curious like what would you like to propose to our audience to either watch listen read whatever it is something spooky it can be anything you can make the list as long as you want
1: You know what? I'm I'm so tempted to say the things that everyone's watching right now, if we're just going to go with movies and TV shows, because I just started watching Midnight Mass, but everyone knows that's fantastic. I'm a huge Mike Flanagan fan, so I feel like that's kind of an easy one because people are already watching it, if not already blazed through it already. So going with uh, things that are a bit more obscure, this one's on on Shudder. I think we talked about this too. There's a really great, it's an older um, Japanese found footage film, called and i'm going to butcher the name uh norway the curse it's n-o-r-o-i the curse and it was made i think it was 2004 2005 and it kind of flew under my radar i didn't see it for the first time until last year but it is absolutely fantastic um the way that the story just unfolds like i say it's, it's sort of like peeling back the layers of this onion and i just had no idea from scene to scene where they were going with this and it's it's incredibly terrifying it's very original um, and going for another movie that's sort of, um, not North American that, uh, people may not have seen, but it's one that I'm always recommending. Um, there's an Australian, um, movie. It's also found footage called Lake Mungo. Yes. And it is yes. a great movie it is a ghost story, but it's really a great sort of, um, examination of grief and, and sort of death and loss, um, incredible performances again, actors that you would not... They're not stars, you wouldn't recognize them, which always helps the verisimilitude of the found footage genre. So it looks like you're watching a real documentary. But it is not just scary, you know it is scary, but it's really poignant and powerful. Um, I've watched it so many times, I, I can't recommend it enough. So I would say those two. Those two are probably, uh, in terms of the streaming networks, you should be able to track those ones down. Um, that, that I would absolutely recommend for, uh, for some Halloween watching, for
0: sure. Angelo, what do you got?
2: I'm going to be boring and uh, recommend uh, the Mike Flanagan stuff because I just started watching The House, uh, the Haunting of Hill House and I'm making my way through those on Netflix so I can get to Midnight Mass because that popped up on my to-watch list and I said, well, I should go back and watch the other ones. I don't know why I didn't watch them, um, but I just finished uh, The Haunting of uh, Hill House and really enjoyed it and from what I understand, the other ones get better, so... I'm going to suggest two things. One thing
0: that we discussed previous to this, which is a great faux documentary called uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And of course, my second thing I'm going to mention because... We've done so many Canadian drops is I'm going to talk about the movie Pontypool pool and the power of words, right? Oh, yeah. A 2008 horror movie that is unlike anything else I've kind of ever seen in terms of like execution and the thought put behind it and sort of like the world that they've created. It's really, really good. I know mm-hmm. it's available on streaming on and off. So anyone uh, who's super interested in something a little bit different should definitely um, um, check that out.
1: Excellent book too. If you can track yes, down the book yes. as well, also more Canadian content. Uh, really, really excellent book. And let's let's sort of circle back to Mothman. It's like and watch <laughs> watch the Mothman prophecy. It's a fantastic movie. Um, Richard Greer is great in it. Uh, Laura Linney. It's got a great cast, great supporting cast of a lot of character actors you recognize. It is spooky. It is very very well acted, and the directing is is phenomenal. You know, you, you won't you won't regret it.
0: I feel like it, it would work in today's sort of like um, uh, media environment as like a really well done prestige miniseries.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the one thing about a lot of these series, like, like Midnight Mass, which I think is about seven episodes, um, is that the story, it can be as long as it needs to be, you know, like it's, you know, especially if you're adapting a, a book, um, I, you don't need to condense it into two hours now. Like take four hours. It doesn't. It doesn't even need to be a, like a full season. It doesn't need to be thirteen episodes. Let it be seven. Let it be four. It's just we are in sort of the uh, sort of like the second renaissance of, of TV here, which is which is of course streaming and these these streaming networks where it's uh, there's no commercials. There's there's no seasons, as it were. It can just be sort of like one and done. It's, I, and love there's there's I love limited series. There's there's some really it.
2: good ones on on um, HBO as well. I watched. Um, oh, what's it, the mayor of something? I can't remember. The one with Kate Winslet, Yeah,
1: yeah, Kate Yeah, that's
2: so good. That was so good, and I I love that it's just one and done. You watch the the eight episodes or so, and and you're you're good. You don't have to go back to it.
1: Yep, and and again, you're seeing a lot of really premier talent where back in the day you wouldn't see big name Hollywood actors or directors even touching, uh, television, you know, and now it's, yeah. it's the premier medium. Cause again, why try and condense something into two hours when you can have four or five or 10, whatever you need to tell the story, yeah. um, uh, as much time as you need. It's fantastic. I love it.
0: Agreed. So Ian, uh, what are you up to these days? Are you typing away? Uh, what do you want to s- sort of like let the world know about what you're up to?
1: Uh, I spent the summer actually writing a, uh, uh, sort of graphic novel for a video game company. So uh, they reached out to me and um, they wanted to do sort of a tie-in comic book for their video game, this sort of a, a survival horror game. And um, uh, so this, this sort of, it's, it's called a Webtoon. I think of it as sort of a graphic novel because it's about 40 pages. Um, it's, it's like a prequel to the video game. It takes place okay. about 100 years in the past. Um, it leads up to the video game. So it's sort of a... Uh, it's It tells its own story, but it it's it's the introduction to this video game. And actually, the first part is going to be posted tomorrow. They're gonna to do it in like 10 uh, ten ten parts. okay. Um so the first part will be to- posted tomorrow. I'll be posting on all my social media channels. Um, so, yeah, I spent the summer working on that, and then they were they were really happy with my work, so they actually, uh, um, asked me to come on and work on the video game itself. So, oh, nice. Uh, okay. So I'm working on the video game now. So, uh, which is great because I'm just sort of would say I'm killing time, but I finished a book and I wasn't really ready to dive into another one. And. Um, the, uh, the production on the, uh, the Netflix movie of, uh, Every House is Haunted starts up next year. So I sort of, uh, I had some time to kill before, uh, I start working as a consultant on that film that, uh, Sam Raimi is producing that starts, I believe next May, I think is when it's supposed to be going into production. And, um, yeah, um, hopefully we'll have some news, uh, by then on when the book, uh, my, my book, Every House is Haunted will be back into print. So, uh, it will be available, uh. Hopefully before the, the movie actually comes out, I would, I think uh, it'd be nice. it's always, yeah, it's, it'd if be you, try, you, you try to have the timing, right? You, you yeah, want to course. be able not, not when the book is, or not when the movie's actually out, but like a, some lead up to it, right? So, uh, you have to get those, uh, those sort of wheels in motion and plan these things as much, as much as you can, even in normal times, much less during a pandemic. Yeah. Right?
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, well, you can find me first and foremost on my website, ianrogers.ca. Um, I'm on all the usual social media channels. Um, if you just search for Ian Rogers on Twitter or, uh, I use the handle one more shadow, all one word. Um, you can usually find me there on, on Twitter, Instagram. I use the same handle. Uh, there's not a lot of other Ian Rogers. I think if you just, if you just search Ian Rogers on those things, you, you find the guy with a lot of horror movie stuff and cats, <laughs> you will find me. So, uh, yeah, it's about uh, there. Really, just you know, taking pictures and enjoying the fall. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating uh, fifteen years of our marriage on the fourteenth. I, oh, nice. I turned I turned forty five on the seventeenth. So uh, yeah, October and, so, uh, and the uh, fall really of your year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. okay, All right.
0: Cool. Yeah. Angela and I'll take time off work just to, to do yes. this yeah
1: Great. come on down
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Angela you know what I'm about to ask you so I'll let I'll, I'll leave you the floor what are my socials or
2: yours or the everyone the we well, always we go through this
0: every episode for like the last like 10 episodes I've yeah, asked you, to do I know. Socials. You,
2: you can find this on www.internetcom right <laughs> no uh, dot is our website where you can find actually the links to everything you need are uh, well, including Ian's uh, bio as well as links to yes. his website, which yeah. is super easy to find. Yeah. We have uh, a Twitter account, right, Brian? Uh, double, we do. Do you, do you remember what it is? Double Density Podcast at Twitter something.com? I'm going to... Uh, no, uh, it's no. it's double underscore density oh, on Twitter. I'm uh, really, really disappointed. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I haven't done this in ages. Mine is Angela Fiorin at Twitter.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mine is Brian Hasey. And uh, you can also find us over on Instagram. It's uh, Double Density Podcast. Ian, uh, thank you for being a 3 p return. I'm sure we'll have you on again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you um, about different things. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah,
1: yeah thank, you. thank you so much for having me. I always have such a blast talking with you guys. It's uh, it's so easy to to talk with you guys and just ramble on about anything.
0: Just three pleasant <laughs> Canadians talking away. <laughs> exactly. Right here at Inner Igloo. our Igloo. In our igloo <laughs> eating our donuts. <laughs> this has been it for episode 176 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week Is I demand more out of angelo continually uh see you then guys thanks brian thank you